Ave, and welcome to Emperors of Rome, a Roman history podcast from La Trobe University. I'm your host, Matt Smith, and with me today is Dr. Kaylin Davenport, lecturer in Roman history from Macquarie University. This is episode, wait for it, LXXXVIII, Severin Stories II. <laughs> today, we present you with three different events in the reign of Septimius Severus. Act I, if you build it, they will come. Septimius Severus was establishing a dynasty, and one of the best ways to do that is through building. Not only do you get to beautify the empire, but it gives you the opportunity to list your name and accomplishments for all to see. Here's Caelan Davenport. Around this time period, there was a lot of building going on in Rome, which is good for an emperor trying to establish his own dynasty. But uh, it's also something that Rome needed because at the end of the reign of Commodus, there was a big fire that meant that a lot of rebuilding and restoration was needed. So what was Septimius Severus doing? How active was he in the rebuilding of Rome? And uh, what can we see his name on? Yes, Septimius Severus was a very active builder in Rome. So as you mentioned, um, the fire provided a great opportunity for uh, rebuilding. So the Temple of Peace, uh, which had been built by uh, Vespasian, Vespasian. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was adjacent to the former Romanum. That was rebuilt. And in one corner of the Temple of Peace, a magnificent marble plan of the city of Rome was installed on, on, on one wall. There's still fragments of that. They still find them every now and then, don't they? Yeah. Stanford has a great Severan marble plan uh, project when they catalogue uh, all the fragments. Mm. Uh, so you can see the wall it was on outside the church of uh, Cosmos and Damien today. So you can see the holes where it would have been affixed the wall. It's not a map that you use to get around. It's a map that you stand at the bottom and look up and go, wow, mm. look at the city and look at the wonderful job that our emperors have done, uh, yeah. particularly the emperor who's uh, uh, just created the map. He also restored the Pantheon. So you may remember that Hadrian uh, famously rebuilt the Pantheon, you know, virtually from the, from the ground up and didn't put his name on it. No. But Septimius Severus and his son Antoninus did. Today, if you go uh, to the Pantheon and, and you look below Marcus Agrippa in lovely big bronze letters, you can see a very thin inscription which extends all the way along the architrave, which is uh, referring to the restorations by Septimius Severus mm, um, mm. And, uh, and Antoninus. It, it feels like they've put their name there as like a almost a footnote but I also feel that they had so much that they wanted to squash in because it's name and titles and and glorification and that kind of mm. thing that they could only do it that big given the space that they had definitely the severans always wanted their full uh, victory titles mm. and their names in the inscriptions so yeah. yeah that's why it's so tiny you have to look quite carefully today it kind of wasn't the done thing to do you know hadrian was uh, restrained giving full credit to agrippa uh, but septimius severus and caracalla liked to stick their names on everything that they restored yeah sure um, yeah They also modified the palace on the Palatine, so a new area facing the Circus Maximus, which is now called the Severan Arcades, was extended. And they also built what is called the Septizodium, which lies at the foot of the the Palatine, which would be facing um, the Via Appia, which was really a large monumental fountain and statuary group. Uh, Multiple levels of of columns with fountains, Mm. um, probably some African deities as well. Um, Doesn't survive anymore, 
if you go there today, you just see some trees. But we have some wonderful drawings of the remains from the medieval period. Yeah, yeah. We're told, actually, Septimius Severus constructed it. So people coming from Africa up the Via Appia would be really impressed by it. Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's, that's that, quite a nice touch. That's very ornamental, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it is very ornamental, certainly. And his coins also promoted his building projects. So he was styled Restitutor Urbis, mm. a restorer of the city, on his coinage as well. Yeah. There was also a triumphal arch, though. Yes, there was a triumphal arch. Yes, the best thing. So that was built in uh, 203 to celebrate officially the Parthian campaigns. But it also talks about the restoration of the Respublica, the restoration of the state. Mm. Um, and that seems to be a reference to um, his civil wars. But this was the first triumphal arch built in the Roman forum since Augustan Tiberian periods. Yeah, yeah. So it was a major statement. And there wasn't just uh, buildings in Rome. There's quite a lot of buildings around the empire, which a lot of emperors did, sure. But specifically Leptus Magna, he showered a bit of love on his hometown, didn't he? Oh, definitely. And this is something emperors love to do, mm. um, to show where they came from. So the forum at Leptus Magna was completely redone. There's a lot of what you might call Severan imagery there of Bacchus and Hercules. And there's even a, an arch in Leptus Magna as well, which celebrates the Parthian victories and celebrates the Severan family. There is that as a well. four-way arch? It is, yeah. That's it's a quadru- very interesting it's one. It's Quadrophon's yeah. arch, yeah. yes. But he was also criticised a little bit for building too much. I know that Dio calls him out in particular for maybe wasting a bit of the funds of the public. Dio can be a bit of a, a, a snarky critic sometimes. <laughs> if you have just had a, a massive fire in the city of Rome, and fires were quite common, I think it's quite reasonable that you repair and glorify things. Plus, every emperor did this. Yeah, but putting your name on all of it, though. Yeah. It, it might have been specifically the Pantheon that he was had in mind when he called him out. Yeah, no, d- definitely. Now, when you stick your name on things that you've just restored, mm. um, that's not really the done thing. That's sort of almost taking credit away from other emperors. Act I.I. The superfluous senators of Septimius Severus. Many Roman emperors were harsh when it came to dealing with their senators, and Septimius Severus in particular was adept at thinning the ranks and getting rid of perceived threats. This is a trend that continued throughout his reign. It's important to emphasise that Septimius Severus did have a lot of senatorial supporters. On the other hand, you do find him getting rid of people who might possibly be inconvenient, Mm. and all emperors had a large network of informers who'd be keen to curry favour with the emperor by denouncing people. Uh, One of the people who was targeted at this time was Plautius Quintilus, who was one of the sons-in-law of Marcus Aurelius, who was married to Marcus Aurelius's daughter, Fadilla. And of course, that could possibly pose a threat to uh, Severus's position. He was accused by informers of, of plotting revolts, even though he was retired in the country, trying to live his normal existence. Mm. And he ended up uh, committing suicide. Um, and his last words were, I make the same prayer that Servianus made for Hadrian. And of course, Servianus was the relative of Hadrian, who uh, Hadrian offed at the uh, last years of his reign. That you should wish to die but not be able to, or something along the lines yes, of that, yes, which essentially yeah. became true. Not a very nice thing to wish on Septimius Severus, but, you know, maybe justified given that you're killing yourself because of him. Yeah, no, I, I certainly, certainly agree that. And we do have some nice insights from Cassius Dio about uh, senatorial politics at this time, because, of course, Cassius Dio was a senator and consul during the reign of uh, Septimius Severus. Like Tacitus in, say, the Annals, he provides lots of anecdotes about uh, senatorial trials and proceedings in the Senate. Mm. 
And one of them is this great story about the indictment of Pronianus, who is the proconsul of Asia. And he was put on trial, presumably for treason, because his nurse had dreamed that he would one day uh, become emperor. And it was then put around that Apronius himself had used magic in an unspecified way uh, to try and become emperor. Yeah, right. You know that uh, things like you know consulting the emperor's horoscopes is things you should never do because it seems to be you're trying to predict uh, the emperor's death. And the evidence for this was presented to the Senate. Uh, Septimius Severus doesn't actually seem to have anything to do with this trial, so mm. it's really interesting story of senatorial procedure that happens under the emperors. It's also an interesting indication of the kind of climate of the Senate, that they think that this is something that they have to act on to this degree of of harshness and what they think that the emperor would want. Definitely. If you're accused of uh, maestas, um, essentially high treason, Mm. um, that's something they must be seen to stamp out. In the senatorial hearing, they were told that a witness was being tortured for evidence about who had been telling the story of the dream and to whom. So essentially, they're trying to find out who's been spreading this around, who might be in on this conspiracy. And the witness told the Senate that he had seen, and I quote here, a certain bald-headed senator peeping in. All the senators were suddenly terrified that they might be thought to be the bald-headed senator who had uh, peeped in. So they all started patting their hair um, to see you know, whether their hair was thinning or whether they could be bald. And Cassius Dray was there at the time and said that he felt his hair and was very happy that he had a good mane. So it couldn't have been him. And eventually, the witness said that uh, the senator was wearing the dress of the ideal at the time, one of the public officials. So they all turned their heads to Bibius Marcellinus, who had been idle at the time. It's like a morbid game of guess who. It really is. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Senator without hair. Wearing the idol's costume. (laughs) So they looked at the one bald guy in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they knew it was him. And he was promptly led out of the Senate to his execution. Mm. And that was all done without Septimius Severus, uh, which, which is really interesting. That's just the climate that he encouraged. It seems really tenuous and confusing, though. I find it really surprising that it goes on. But then again, you know, I, I don't live in ancient Rome. This could yes. just be an, another day in the Senate for them. Yeah, I mean, we do have stories of people being convicted for treason under Antoninus Pius, for example, as well. Mm. So... That's really interesting. We don't have... Yeah, but because of your nurse's dream. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, this is a guy who fits the description of somebody who was peeping in the room at the time. Yes, yes. You know, that's... Yeah, no, and and definitely. They want to find someone to accuse, I think. Definitely. I'm a bit of a Timmy Sarah supporter, revisionist in that way. (laughs) Act I, I, I. I beg of no man. There was always dissatisfaction in the empire, but every now and then the disgruntled common folk rally around a figure and present a bit of a problem. This happened during the reign of Septimius Severus, when a charming swarthy fellow by the name of Buller the Brigand started causing trouble for the empire. For about two years, probably between 205 or 206 to 207, Buller Felix, as he is known, was a brigand who... Buller the Lucky. Yeah, Buller the Lucky, yes, <laughs> like Sulla. A Buller was like an amulet which uh, children wore around their neck. Yeah. Um, or it was also the name for a doorknob as well. So <laughs> we don't really know Take your pick. <laughs> what was going on there. But yes, yeah, he was nicknamed Felix the Lucky, like Sulla was. And Cassius Dio tells that he had about um, 600 men, probably slaves, freedmen, the dispossessed and unhappy, who went around Italy raiding, pillaging, 
There's a number of great anecdotal little stories, and uh, if you could run through a couple of them, that'd be good. But I get the impression very much that he's a, an almost like a mythical figure yes. for the Romans. Almost like a Robin Hood sort of figure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cassius Dio talks about him, and this is in book 77.10. Um, there's lots of great anecdotes here, but Dio says... In the case of most persons, he would take a part of what they had and let them go at once. But he detained artisans for a time and made use of their skill, then dismissed them with a present. So sort of like a, a noble brigand, mm. um, as it were. He's not going around killing and slaughtering people. He's trying to um, do the best for his band, as it were. There's also a, a great story of impersonation there as well. He becomes a bit of like a, a con artist. Once when two of his men had been captured and were about to be given by wild beasts, Dio says, he paid a visit to the keeper of the prison, pretending that he was the governor of his native district and needed some men of such and such a description, and in this way he secured and saved the men. He must have taken some guts to go in and you know pretend to be a governor and, and rescue members of his band. Yeah. But I think, you know, these are the sort of stories, as you said, that, you know, surround like a mythical figure. You know, he's someone that people would hear about but perhaps never see. You know, did you hear he did this? Oh no, but I heard this instead. Mm. So and these stories would also get back to the emperors. Septimius Severus was not happy that this was going on under his nose in Italy of all places. This wasn't, you know, out on the frontiers or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but these things could happen within, you know, the more civilized parts of the empire. You might remember from earlier on the school teacher who pretended to be a senator and raised soldiers to uh, support um, Septimius Severus's uh, campaign. Yeah, um, yeah. So there was quite a bit of impersonation going on there. And you think it's, you know, it's not a world with media and newspapers, you know, when we know what politicians look like, we can look them up on their websites. You know, if you put on a senatorial toga and wander around claiming to be a, a governor and you put on a good show, who's necessarily going to disagree with you it'd be fair to say though that he probably did exist and probably had men and were raiding and robbing on some level definitely yeah. definitely you know septimius severus was very annoyed that he couldn't control italy while meanwhile in britain uh, his governors were winning victories on his own account yeah so this was a real event and i think the number of stories actually testifies to the impact it had on the popular consciousness mm. of our people in Italy. And also for Cassius Dio to devote quite a bit of time to it in his history yeah. uh, shows how important it is. Also, and this I don't think this is in Cassius Dio, but the inevitable rumour that Julia Domna is having it off with Bulla, although how would they ever meet? Julia Domna, yes, yes, she's so promiscuous, she goes out and uh, has liaisons with uh, the great brigand, yes. He is finally killed, isn't he? Uh, he's finally captured, uh, yes. It's a story when um, Septimius Severus sends his tribune from his bodyguard and many horsemen. And Septimius Severus threatens uh, the tribune with punishment if he doesn't bring back Bulla alive. Dio then goes on to say, So this tribune, having learned that the brigand was intimate with another man's wife, persuaded her through her husband to assist them on promise of immunity. As a result... The robber, that's Bulla Felix, was arrested while asleep in a cave. Papinian, the Praetorian prefect, asked him, Why did you become a robber? And he replied, Why are you a prefect? Speaking truth to power or being sassy to emperors or prefects or yeah, something like yeah. that stories. Later, after due proclamation, Dio says he was given to wild beasts and his band was broken up. Mm. because they could go on without him. So he was obviously a very charismatic uh, figure who was holding together this band of miscreants. Yeah. Um, Rather unfortunate end, I would have liked him to, you know, to run away somewhere rather than being condemned to the beast to die. To tell you the truth, I, I don't know how the story of Robin Hood ends. 
No, neither do I. It's kind of a bit telling that these figures pop up quite frequently. It's like, you know, there's tends to be one per emperor, Mm. like a a former soldier who gets annoyed after the Marcomannic Wars. I think Mm. one came up at the end of the reign of Marcus Aurelius. Mm. They rally a band around themselves. I mean, the complete opposite end of it is um is spartacus i suppose mm. who was the same sort of figure who rallied the general people behind him and ended up having to be taken down by an army in his case but uh yeah there seems to be unrest coming up un- under every emperor and every ruler yeah and we mustn't forget also the so-called deserters war under commodus as well oh yeah, um, yeah. when uh, deserters from the army marched to italy as well there's lots of different versions of that and it also perhaps put in the same category the stories of, of false people so there's a false agrippa posthumus a slave of agrippa posthumus claims to be his deceased master and is supposed to rally people to his calls in gaul and italy and then lands at ostia tiberius is is very concerned and you know gets him to the palace where he then kills him mm. um, there's also three false Neros as well in the east who win great popularity so there are definite popular movements in the roman world which can pose a challenge to uh, the emperor's authority at this point septimius severus has been in rome for about three years and this is the longest stretch of time that he's ever in Rome without going to fight a war of some description, isn't it? Yes. He spends time in Italy, both in Rome and in his villas at Campania. It's a very normal thing for an emperor to do. Mm. But his sons are, are playing up. They're not establishing good reputation for themselves. Cassius Diot says that Severus was seeing that his sons were changing their mode of life and the legions were being innovated by idleness. This is a bit of a conventional literary device. The boys are playing up, the legions, uh, their discipline is becoming lax and things like that. Mm. So that's quite a common literary trope. On the other hand, Septimius Severus was getting older and he may have wanted one last victory before he died. We know he was crippled with gout at this time, so he was starting to be carried uh, everywhere um, Mm in a litter because it was it was painful to walk so it may have been the case that he did actually want to go on one final campaign yeah yeah so he's in his 60s at this point isn't he over 60 which you know he's he's got a good innings there for an emperor who's Mm. you know ruled since 193 and you know commanded two wars against parthia and you know become victorious in in three civil wars Mm. but maybe he wants to end on a high note this is uh, certainly anthony burley's argument it's also what herodian says as well he's also thought to have been angry that other people were winning wars in his name in britain while he couldn't control bulla felix the brigand in italy Mm. Uh, so he may have wanted to go to Britain to claim some of that glory for himself. Mm. And Cassius Dio also says that uh, Septimius Severus wanted the glory of subjugating all of Britain. The Roman frontier had been extended to the Antonine Wall under Antoninus Pius, but then in the late 150s, early 160s, that had been abandoned. So imagine the kudos that would uh, redound through the generations if you were the emperor who, who pacified all of Britain and bring it under Roman control. That's Dr. Kaelin Davenport, lecturer in Roman history from Macquarie University, and you have been listening to Emperors of Rome. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it in Apple iTunes or your friendly neighbourhood podcatching service. Please leave a review there. They are muchly appreciated. You can like the Emperors of Rome on Facebook, and you can follow both myself and Kaelin Davenport on Twitter. Kaelin is at Dr. C. Davenport, and I am at Nightlight Guy. In the next episode of Emperors of Rome, Septimius sets off for the shores of Britannia for one final battle.
But until then, I'm Matt Smith. You've been fantastic, and thanks for listening.